Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by my favorite college in America, Hillsdale College, which proudly refuses every penny of government funding to remain independent. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. Little noted story. Little noted story. Um, was reported on Friday. And basically dropped. You folks, we all are worried about nuclear weapons. We talk about the possible use of nuclear weapons against us. And the Biden administration is about to hand nuclear weapons to the Islamo-Nazi regime in Iran. And I'm not kidding. In fact, there was a superb report on Fox, as I said on Friday. And you need to listen to this, because this, this issue... Other than me and now Fox, nobody's discussing this. And one day you're going to wake up and say, how the hell did this happen? They're too busy character assassinating Casey DeSantis. And I'll get back to that. I notice most of the women who are attacking Casey DeSantis are as ugly as Bella Abzug ever was, Mr. Producer. They're slobs. They're pigs. Most of the men... They're slobs and pigs, too. They're jealous. They don't say a word about Dr. Jill. They don't talk about how Dr. Jill and Joe Biden hooked up, even though there's a lot of controversy around that. Isn't there press? Not a word. No. They defend Hunter Biden. Just look at their priorities. And by the way, the only Karen out there is Whoopi Goldberg. Her real name is Karen. She's the Karen. Casey DeSantis is a professional woman. She's a mother. She's a cancer survivor. She's a wife. Brilliant, beautiful, everything, every, virtually, every woman in the media is not. With a few exceptions here and there, of course. But not enough. You go to MSNBC. It's all ugly all the time. You go to CNN. It's all uglier all the time. It's the truth. I think that's on their resume. Anyway, I want you to listen to this. Very important. About Iran. Go. Well, right now we're awaiting an update from the Pentagon as new evidence emerges out of Iran of the regime's nuclear weapons development. These new satellite images you're looking appear to show what experts say is an underground nuclear facility that's actually so deep beneath the Earth's surface underground it may be totally impenetrable by U.S. weapon systems. Chief National Security Correspondent Jennifer Griffin joins us from the Pentagon with new developments. Hi, Jennifer. 
Hi, Jillian. Well, new evidence shows worrisome progress at this nuclear facility so deep in the earth that it's likely beyond the range of conventional U.S. weapons, as you mentioned. The new site is in the Zagros Mountains in central Iran, not far from Iran's current uranium enrichment facility at Natanz. These new satellite photos and videos from Planet Labs over central Iran show what experts say is new construction that started in late 2020, shortly after a fire blamed on sabotage destroyed part of the old Natanz facility. Four entrances have been dug into the mountainside, two to the east and another two to the west. Each is 20 feet wide and 26 feet tall. Today, Israel's Defense Force chief issued a veiled warning. We are also closely examining the other ways to nuclear capability. Without going into details, there are possible negative developments on the horizon that could prompt action. We have abilities and others have abilities. Iran is believed to be as close as it has ever been to developing a nuclear weapon. Experts estimate that the new underground mountain facility is between 80 and 100 yards below ground, which is the maximum range of any current conventional weapons. Currently, they've been constructing a, an underground facility over the past two years or so, two, maybe three years. And this facility is much deeper than other underground facilities that we know of, uh, including uh, Fordow and Parchin. For now, it's unclear what's in these tunnels at this mountain site. If Iran was to introduce uranium into the site, it would have to inform the IAEA. But the IAEA hasn't responded to any questions about the site so far. Experts fear that the site is going to be big enough to allow Iran to potentially enrich uranium at it. And uranium is what fuels a nuclear weapon. Since President Trump pulled out of the nuclear deal five years ago, Iran has said it is enriching uranium up to 60 OK, let's stop there. That's the one shot, kind of a cheap shot. That troubles me. Don't leave your don't leave the spot there, Mr. Producer. Donald Trump had that country. That is the Islamonauts regime hanging by a thread. By a thread. He put these bone-crushing economic sanctions on Iran, and he enforced them. They had nowhere to sell their oil. They couldn't get basic materials and so forth into the country. We had blocked them. We had blocked them through NATO countries, the European Union, that is, other countries. Even China and Russia dare not cross us. And it was working. And the people in Iran, who had nothing to do, the vast majority of them, with this throwback regime they rose up thousands of them were murdered raped tortured after a young teenage girl was murdered by security forces while she was in their clutches and then comes in biden he turns his back on the violations of the sanctions then he lifts the sanctions for the vast majority of the sanctions. Then he sends in an America-hating Obama moron as the negotiator, this guy, Malley, who's trying to cut deals left and right, shows every weakness imaginable to the Islamo-Nazi regime. They even bring in Putin and the Russians to help negotiate for us. And while they're playing rope-a-dope, 
with Biden and his cronies, that moron Blinken over there at the State Department. God, is he awful. And that bizarre-looking National Security Council uh, chief, Sherman. The Iranians are pressing ahead. So Trump had them on the run. He had them boxed in. Here's the thing. Michael Duran is a a brilliant, brilliant man who writes about these things. And he wrote a piece not too long ago, and he pointed out the Obama deal did something no prior administration ever accepted. The Obama deal with Iran was premised on the basis that Iran would get a nuclear weapon, that the Middle East would be nuclearized, that there wasn't a damn thing we could do about it, that we should treat this as some kind of a regional issue, not an international problem, even though the Iranians don't view themselves as purely regional. I mean, why build ICBMs if that's your attitude? And by the way, why a bases in our hemisphere? Bases in our hemisphere. If that's your view, that it's regional. So essentially, Obama surrendered. And then he had one propagandist after another around him Lying to the American people through the media. I have this in a number of my books because the evidence came out. One of them couldn't keep his mouth shut. He started bragging to the Washington Post. It's unbelievable. And he talks about how the media types were saps, lapdogs, how they would take whatever they put out and run with it, just as they are today. Same dumb bastards. So Biden comes in, he double downs on the... uh, on the Obama policies, and more than that, all his negotiations with the enemy, the Iranians, are in secret. Congress has no idea what's taking place. And he still wants to come up with a deal, a verbal deal, not even a written deal. And, again, violate the treaty clause of the Constitution of the United States. This is the problem. This is why I had huge problems with Bob Corker, Ben Sass. All these Republicans who went along with Obama to turn this into a statute in violation of the treaty clause, and even worse, Congress, under this statute, would have to vote to stop Biden. In other words, the onus is put on Congress rather than the other way around. And of course, a simple filibuster would kill that in the Senate. I don't mean to get into the weeds, but I'm showing you how this thing came to be. As I recall, the only Democrat seriously opposed to this in the Senate was Menendez. Schumer voted against it while he was organizing the Democrats for it. AIPAC, which supposedly represents Jewish and Israeli interests in Washington, D.C., sat on the sidelines. And J Street filled with self-hating Jews. They supported it, of course, since Obama did. And the moron in the White House, the moron in that White House who now runs the ADL, special assistant to the president, he supported it too. Anyway, this is a grave threat to the United States. And I want to tell you something. When those sanctions were imposed on Iran, 
And then President of the United States withdrew from the agreement. I was at his home in New Jersey, Mr. Producer. Did I ever tell anybody this? And there were a group of people there, and he was having a number of people from his administration and elsewhere. And he summons me over. He says, Mark, come over here. I said, okay, sir, come over. He said, I'm going to do something I think you approve of. I said, what's that? I'm signing the document to get out of this Iran deal. I said, you are? And he was taping it for the media. Because he was putting it out. And after he signed it, he handed me the pen, Mr. Bridges. One of his famous Sharpies. And I took that Sharpie. And I gave it to my stepson, David Milstein. Because nobody has worked harder. Nobody. To confront this Iranian deal than him, as far as I'm concerned. And the people he worked with. Ambassador Friedman and so forth. But I know he's worked day and night to try and protect this country from that enemy. I didn't deserve the pen. He did. Let's continue. Go. Recently discovered the country has produced uranium at 83.7% pure. All right. So 83.7%, in other words, 84%. You know what the nuclear level is is of the uh, fissionable material? 90%. I've been warning about this now. For weeks and months. Here we are on the precipice. Once they have it, they'll never let it go and we can't get it. I'm building to a point. Stay with me. Go ahead. 90% threshold needed for weapons grade uranium. So what is the Biden administration doing? There's only one country who, that has the will and the capacity to take this on. Because once they reach 90%, the Iranians will start arming, not them, just themselves, but they'll start arming our other enemies. Just as they have with their drones. This is very relevant to us, is it not? What if they decide to put missiles in Venezuela? What are we going to do? You know, that's so far away. That's 7,000. I'm going to get another forever war. What the hell are we going to do? Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm so sick of this. It's a terrorist state. It's killed and maimed thousands of Americans. It's a terrorist state. It's an Islamo-Nazi state. What if they put missiles in Venezuela? Think we're going to do anything about that? Just like the Chinese have a spy facility in Cuba. They're now in our backyards, folks. What are we going to do about this? It's very, very important. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. 
So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. Americans seeking cheaper everyday essentials threaten corporate growth. This is Bloomberg. Now think about that. Don't they have it backwards? Americans seeking cheaper everyday essentials threaten corporate growth. Isn't the problem that Americans are seeking cheaper everyday essentials? So they say Americans are cutting back on personal hygiene products and a troubling sign for the U.S. economy and consumer-focused companies. Now, it's an amazing thing. You've got Joe Biden talking about Bidenomics. And he goes to a red state to talk about it. He can't go to any blue states because all the blue states are in the crapper. Literally, crap all over the place. And so this story comes out and they say the troubling sign for the U.S. economy. How about a troubling sign for Joe Biden and his ideology and his approach to economics and his reelection bid? It's not like the economy is doing this on its own. I've told you many times before, if you kill the golden goose, you don't get golden eggs anymore. It's the way it works. Despite surging inflation, shoppers kept spending thanks to income gains and government stimulus. But those benefits are waning. You see, ladies and gentlemen, government spending is like a heroin addict. And the dealer is Joe Biden. And the Fed. And it's been for years and years and years. The fact of the matter is, you don't build a real economy with sustained growth by profligate spending. It doesn't happen. What you do is you destroy an economy that is trying to grow, and that's exactly what they did after the pandemic. So they write, despite surging inflation, shoppers kept spending thanks to income gains and government stimulus. So for the Democrats, this means more government stimulus. That is more inflation. And they're going to drive us right into depression. Now, those benefits are waning. Now, now Americans are skimping, even on everyday items such as toilet paper and toothpaste. I never in my life thought that those words would come out of my mouth. Never imagined it. That Americans have to skimp on toilet paper and toothpaste? Both ends of the body? These are essentials. These are essentials. 
Why aren't the Republicans hitting this hard enough, Mr. Producer? Many times I go into Walmart, I'll go into Costco, CVS, Walgreens, and so forth. I'm checking out the prices. I want to know what's going on. Get stuff for the family and so forth and so on. And I see what's going on. And there's also shortages. Are there any politicians who do this? When's the last time Joe Biden shuffled into a Walmart? Now, they'll laugh like this clown, Capehart and the others, about Karen. It's just another way to trash middle America, like Obama did. It's just another way to trash middle America. Extremist MAGA, another way to trash middle America. White supremacists, middle America. They come up with different phrases, one more outrageous and vile than the next. But people in this country are now cutting back on toothpaste and toilet paper, (coughs) excuse me, and other hygiene products. Next thing you know, the whole country will smell like a a Democrat Party convention. More insights on the economic environment come on Wednesday with the release of June's Consumer Price Index. They can release all the indexes they want, all the unemployment statistics they want, all the rest of it. I know what I see, and I see a lot of people in pain. I see a lot of people... You know, I'll tell you what, you've got like, let's just take paper towels. You've had bounty. Bounty is paper towels. Four equals 12. I don't even know what they're talking about. 12 equals 30. Or now you have toilet paper. It's like, uh, you want the really, really thick, big rolls? I told you I've been at Walmart and all these. Or what do you want? And now you can get a whole package of 120. 20 equals 120. I am watching people, and I don't blame them, go up to the little signs that they have under each different type to see how much they're paying per sheet of toilet paper, per sheet of paper towels, Mr. Producer. 3.1 cents versus 3.7 cents, which pays more, which meant, and then you got to decide If you really want to do 120 toilet paper rolls, if you can afford it, regardless of how much it is per sheet, people are sitting there, standing there, trying to figure it out. Or toothpaste. You know, two for the price of this, a package of four for the price of that. I watch them as they struggle over this. I look at the deodorant. The price of deodorant is through the roof. It's through the roof. Basic stuff. But the manufacturers have to find the material that goes into these products. They have to assemble it. All these extra costs on top, these these, uh, disruptions in the supply chain for the little things. Agriculture goes through the same thing. People who raise beef, fowl, fisheries are all going through the same thing. 
This is a crappy economy. It doesn't mean that you can't acquire things. It just means that they're much more expensive. Then you drive by a McDonald's right here, right near me, and they have a sign up that says minimum wage up to $13 an hour. That's a pretty damn good minimum wage. The problem is you can't stay ahead at $13 an hour. Well, how much are you going to charge for a hamburger and fries or chicken nuggets or a soda to get it higher? Speaking of which, have you been to a drive-thru lately, Mr. Producer? You're going to feed four people. Four people, not kids, four, four adults. Let's put it that way. Get a couple of hamburgers, a side of fries, and a soda. It's 10 bucks. You're going to go through that drive-thru and you're going to pay $40 for fast food. I don't blame the fast food companies. They're under enormous pressure. And then the diner I go to, one of the ladies who waits there, and she's, uh, th- these are terrific people, but they're in their 50s and 60s. She's always, and they are, very happy, very pleasant. How's your day? What you're working on? How's your book coming? Just very, very nice. And I always say, well, how's your day? Normally, they don't. she said to me today, price of a gallon in gasoline on my corner just went up 20 cents a gallon. Now, this affects her. She's a waitress. She's a waitress. She lives mostly on tips. There weren't a whole lot of people in this morning, actually. So she didn't make a ton of money this morning. This is what people who get guaranteed income, guaranteed salary, guaranteed health care, guaranteed pension, Striking for a little bit more, or in the federal government, if you close the federal government for a couple of weeks, they act like you're, you're choking off their subsistence. But the average person who's not on the government dole, whether through welfare or employment, or isn't represented by a trade union, which is the vast majority of the people, They're suffering. Middle and low middle class people are suffering. And the people in Washington and the media don't care. The people in Washington and the bureaucracy don't care. Joe Biden doesn't care. He's touting his economy. The Democrat Party doesn't care. They'll just create a couple more programs and they'll blame Republicans for blocking them. They don't care. The strains that the consumer is under have been exacerbated over the last couple of months, said Morningstar analyst Aaron Lash. The reduction of food assistance programs, listen to this, lower tax returns and using up extra savings and stimulus funds have an impact, she said. So in other words, for Bloomberg and for Morningstar, the problem is we're not spending enough money. The problem is we're not jacking up the economy on heroin 
enough. Now, as my friend Craig Shirley wrote yesterday, comparing the Reagan and the Biden economies, Reaganomics versus Bidenomics, Reaganomics, which relied almost 100% on the private sector and the market capitalist system, versus Bidenomics, which trashes the market system and the capitalist system and relies almost 100% on redistributing wealth and socialist economic principles, there's no comparison. No comparison. When Reagan came into office, people were scrimping under the Carter economy, much like the Biden economy. Same principles. But when Reagan came in, he blew the lid off the whole thing. Massive government, economic expansion. The economic expansion, in fact, was so massive, 25% of the nation's economy grew by 25% by the time Reagan left office. The whole enchilada grew by 25%. So massive was the Reagan economic growth plan that even after George H. Bush's fairly poor presidency, Bill Clinton was still benefiting from the policies that were put in place during the Reagan administration. And the media were focused on homelessness. This guy Mitch Snyder in Washington, D.C. They were there every night on network TV. They'd go to a homeless shelter. They'd go to a food line. They wanted you to believe that Reagan had created all this poverty, destroyed all this wealth, didn't care about little kids, didn't care about older people, didn't care. People were in bread lines like the Depression. It was a lie. Meanwhile... I just read to you what Bloomberg, which is a liberal news site, said. And there's no cameras at Walmart. There's no cameras at Costco. There's no cameras at CVS and Walgreens. There's no cameras at the gas stations. There's no interviews. Of average American families having to struggle. Nothing. There's no discussion about it whatsoever on these main media platforms. Nothing. And I want to salute the United Auto Workers. That's right. I want to salute the UAW. Joe Biden doesn't represent your interests. In fact, Joe Biden doesn't represent the interests of any private sector unions. Public sector unions, minus the cops and the firefighters, sure, that's the teachers. He has no respect. And for the AFL-CIO, the mothership, to go out there and endorse Biden is sickening to me. He's destroying the auto manufacturing industry. He's destroying the steel industry. He's destroying the coal industry. He's destroying all of our hard industries where men and women get dirt under their fingernails, of which they know not a damn thing in Washington, D.C. Mark Levin. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. 
Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You're listening to the best of Mark Levin. Folks, let me suggest to you that the White House knows who brought the cocaine into the White House. Unless the FBI, the Secret Service, and all the rest of them are completely pathetic. It's full cover-up mode. This is what the Biden administration does. Full cover-up mode. This is what they're known for. I mean, from the communist Chinese to Tara Reid to all the rest of it. So it's my contention that they know who brought that into the building. It's either a family member, a friend, or a donor, or a senior person over there at the White House. That's it. That's it. And so the stonewalling is going to continue until they can find a fall guy or something else, a diversion. Now, I don't want to be diverted from this Justice Sotomayor issue. Sotomayor is not particularly bright. Democrats can say what they will against Clarence Thomas, Miguel Estrada, such a wonderful group of red-blooded Americans, and they trash them because of their race. Sotomayor was chosen because of her race and because of her genitalia. She wasn't the smartest appellate judge. Now, some of you might say, particularly in the media, how can you say that? It's amazing to me. Think about this. The media wants to celebrate her as the first... Oh, God. As the first female Latinx, right? On the court. And then when you notice it, they say, why are you mentioning the fact that she is a female Latinx? I'm sorry, am I not allowed to mention it, but you are? But what I'm also mentioning is, she wasn't the best qualified. She was chosen for symbolic reasons. The reason Jackson was chosen for symbolic reasons. That's certainly not to say that there aren't really smart minorities at the federal court level. They're really, really smart minorities at the federal court level. There's no question about that. She's not one of them. She is not one. How do I know? What is it based on? Listening to her during oral arguments when those clips are released. Reading what she says, which is typically some kind of a political screed in her writings, doesn't come close to Clarence Thomas. Nothing, not even a mile away from Clarence Thomas's thinking processes. And yet the left mercilessly attacks Clarence Thomas. They can't attack his intelligence. They can't attack the way he reasons the way he explains himself in his opinions, you certainly can with Sotomayor. And now we learn this. And as I get going here, I want you to think of a couple of things. There hasn't been a word from a single Democrat 
in Congress today. There hasn't been a word from a single Democrat phony journalist today about what I'm going to tell you. AOC has not called for the impeachment of Sotomayor. Now they have the rest of the slugs. What do they call themselves, Mr. Producer? Oh, the squad. I'll call them the slugs. The rest of the slugs haven't either. Where's little Dick Durbin? Absolute munchkin of a politician. Where's he? Running around. We need to ask. Where's Raskin? Not a word. Why is it? Because they're all a bunch of Democrat Party Marxist hacks. That's why. It's that simple. Why, Mark? Why? There you go. Here you go. This is a big deal. She is so gummed up in conflicts and a grifter. Oh, a grifter for the people. For colleges and libraries seeking a bold-faced name of a guest lecturer, few come bigger than Sonia Sotomayor, the Supreme Court justice who rose from poverty in the Bronx to the nation's highest court. Weren't you born in the Bronx, Mr. Producer? And you rose from very modest means, didn't you? You should be on the court, too. She has benefited, too, from schools' purchases of hundreds, sometimes thousands of books she's written over the years. So the uh, uh, Sotomayor staff has often prodded public institutions. Now, this staff is on the government payroll. Prodded public institutions that have hosted the justice to buy her memoir or children's books, works that have earned her at least $3.7 million since she joined the court in 2009. I wonder if bestiality, you know, the daily bestiality, I wonder if they've done a story on this. They flat out lied about me. Flat out, because they're scum. Details of those events, largely out of the public view, were obtained by the Associated Depressed, through more than 100 open records requests to public institutions. The resulting tens of thousands of pages of documents or for a rare look at Sotomayor and her fellow justices beyond their official duties. So you see, even they can't do a straight story. They got to drag in the other justices. But trust me, at least as far as we know right now, Sotomayor is as close as being, as selling her office as any justice has ever been. In her case, the documents reveal repeated examples of taxpayer-funded court staff performing tasks for the justices' book ventures, which workers and other branches of government are barred from doing. I remember when Speaker Wright, remember that guy with the eyebrows? He had to resign because of a bulk sale by union donations or some such thing. This... Wright doesn't even come close to what Sotomayor has been up to. Stick with me. But when it comes to promoting her literary career, Sotomayor is free to do what other government officials cannot because the Supreme Court does not have a formal code of conduct, leaving the nine justices to largely write and enforce their own rules. Okay, hold on a second. This has nothing to do with the other eight justices. Nothing. And so I take the laurels that I gave Brian Slotsko... And Eric Tucker, I take them back. Because you boys, you've got the story, the story of your careers. 
and you keep watering it down. But that's what I'm here to do. Fix it. Quote, this is one of the most basic tenets of ethics laws that protects taxpayer dollars from misuse, said Kedrick Payne, a former deputy chief counsel at the Office of Congressional Ethics and current general counsel for the Campaign Legal Center, whatever the hell that is. The problem at the Supreme Court is that there's, there's no one there to say whether this is wrong. That's not the problem at the Supreme Court. The problem is that Sotomayor used her position and make millions. That's the problem. Supreme Court staffers have been deeply involved in organizing speaker engagements intended to sell books. That is conduct prohibited for members of Congress and the executive branch who are barred under ethics rules, blah, blah, blah. When Sotomayor is invited to participate in a book program, Chambers staff, what they're trying to say there is Supreme Court staff, recommend the number of books for an organization to order based on the size of the audience, so as not to disappoint attendees who may anticipate books being available at the event. That's a quote-unquote, says the court. That's a way for her to make money without it having to be transparent from the group that she's speaking to. She knows exactly what she's doing. The documents obtained by AP show that the justices conduct spans their conservative liberal split their conduct there they go again beside book sales appearances by the justices were used in hopes of raising money at schools which often invited major contributors to the events okay let's stick to the fact these guys they're like um what is that the, the ocd what, what, what the hell do you call it attention deficit they can't focus mr producer in 2019, as Sotomayor traveled the country to promote her new children's book, just ask. Library and community college officials in Portland, Oregon, jumped at that chance to host an event. They put in long hours and accommodated the shifting requests of Sotomayor's court staff. Then as the public cost of hosting the event soared, <clears throat> soared almost tenfold. A Sotomayor aide emailed with a different, urgent concern. The organizers had not bought enough of her books, which attendees had to purchase or have on hand in order to meet Sotomayor after her talk. I mean, folks, this is right in your face. For an event with 1,000 people, and they have to have a copy of Just Ask to get into the line, 250 books is definitely not enough, the aide wrote. An Lee wrote staffers at the Multima County Library. Quote, families purchase multiples and people will be upset if they're unable to get in line because the book required is sold out. Now, Daily Bestiality, this is a phony push to sell books. Can you understand the distinction? No, you can't, bunch of schmoes. It was not an isolated push as Sotomayor prepared for a commencement weekend at the University of California Davis Law School. Her staff pitched officials there on buying copies of signed books in connection with the event. Before a visit to the University of Wisconsin, the staff suggested a book signing. Mr. Mitchell, I think she does more book signings than I do. I do top, tops four when a book comes out. Tops four. But we're all in the private sector here. We're not I have never asked a Supreme Court staffer to assist me in anything. 
At Clemson University in South Carolina, school officials ordered to buy 60 signed copies before a 2017 appearance. Sotomayor staff noted that most schools ordered around 400. They just keep jacking the book sales, you see. Michigan State University asked Sotomayor to come to campus. And in 2018, spent more than $100,000 on copies of her memoir. These are all government institutions. My books can't even, don't even show up in the libraries one at a time. And what was her fantastic book? Her memoir, My Beloved World. To distribute to incoming first-year students. How much you want to bet she had staff help her write that book? Just a surmise. The books were shipped to the Supreme Court. Copies were taken to her chambers by court workers and signed by her before being sent to the school. So she enlists the Supreme... We're not talking about one-off books, you know. Senator sends the Justice 10 book. Would you please sign? I got that. That makes sense. She's getting boxes and boxes of books from the publisher to sign for the university book sale that she demanded as a requisite to speaking there. It's not another justice on the bench that does anything like this. As best as AP may try to sort of fudge all this. Sotomayor, whose annual salary this year is 285400 is not alone in earning money by writing books. That's not the point. There they go again. Such promotional efforts risk damaging the Supreme Court's public standing further by placing an individual justice above the institution itself, said Michael J. Ludic. Why do they go to him? Who cares what he says? He like blew a mental gasket. Sotomayor's publisher, Penguin Random House, also has played a role in organizing her talks. In some cases, pressing public institutions to commit to buying a specific number of copies, requesting that attendees purchase books to obtain tickets, emails, show. Now, the publishers had several matters before the court in which Sotomayor did not recuse herself. All right, let's get this straight. So Sotomayor has tons of books delivered to her office at the Supreme Court where she signs. So it's a wash-through. Sotomayor has government staff help her set up these meetings, excuse me, these speeches, and obviously prods the people and mostly these government institutions, public institutions, to cough up the money. And now, her publisher, Penguin Random House, has several matters before the Supreme Court. Now, You could have a case where a publisher has a matter before the Supreme Court and it's your publisher, one of the justices' publishers. That has absolutely nothing to do with, say, anything related to the publishing of books. It might have something to do with taxes. Who knows? Which is a much closer call. But not this. Justice Justice Sotomayor would have accused in cases in which Penguin Random House was a party in light of her close and ongoing relationship with the publisher, the Supreme Court said in a statement, an inadvertent omission failed to bring Penguin's participation in several cases to her attention. Why is that? Shouldn't justices have a list? I mean, everybody has to do this, even, even members of Congress. I mean, 
Isn't it amazing the court that they put these rulings down and you're supposed to be the perfect citizen? But now we get this. Person close to Sotomayor who insisted on anonymity to discuss the justice's book dealing said that Sotomayor had not, will not profit from sales of her memoir beyond $3.1 million. That's her advance. Oh, that's very cool. Isn't that nice, Mr. Producer? She's not taken one penny beyond $3.1 million, Mr. Producer. Not one! She continues to earn royalties at least $400,000 since 2019 from sales of her children's book. Just ask. wonder if her children's book has pictures in it, Mr. Producer, that are wholly inappropriate and yet in great demand in our elementary schools. Mark Levin. Great one makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. Well, as you know, Christopher Ray testified today, and we learned nothing from him. Um, but he has his defenders out there, like Hindenburg, Chris Christie, and the Democrats. Interesting. If you listen to Christopher Ray, everything's hunky dory over there at the FBI. He's put in all these cool reforms. His front man, uh, Chris Christie, among others, say he's changed what took place at the FBI. Chris Christie's a liar. Christopher Ray's a liar. I do not understand how a man with less than 1% of support among Republicans is on <laughs> all these cable programs. I don't get it. Why he isn't spending time in Iowa and New Hampshire? Well, the reason is, actually, he's a torpedo. In order to take out Trump and or DeSantis. Now, I want to make a point before I go further. Some people are falling into this trap. The Democrats... The establishment Republicans want to take out two men, Trump and DeSantis. I've noticed lately some of uh, the Trump supporters on TV want to take out DeSantis, too. That's understandable. But some others are trying to take out DeSantis. Now, these people are thinking Trump can't get past his indictments. They hope for convictions and all the rest. That would leave DeSantis as the 2025 percenter right now. And of course, we don't run primaries nationwide. They're run in individual states. Like the Electoral College, it's about individual states, but nonetheless. So they want to take out number one and number two, who represent over 70% of the Republican Party. And Peggy Noonan gave it away. When she backed Chris Christie. I mean, there's other great candidates in this race. Vivek, whose last name I can never pronounce. Among others. Uh, Pence will be on the program tomorrow. He's asked to come on. I said, sure. And there are more. But Chris Christie isn't in this race. 
to become president of the United States. He's in this race to either get a rhino nominated or, frankly, to support Joe Biden. That's what he's doing. So he'll defend Christopher Ray. He'll defend what's taking place in Mar-a-Lago. He'll trash Trump, and he spends 90% of his time doing that. 5% trashing DeSantis, the other 5% eating donuts. Now that aside, we have this event on Capitol Hill. And Christopher Ray and those reporting on it, many of them, want your belief that the FBI is doing just fine. Now the FBI has been monitoring many of you, and you don't even know it. The FBI was involved in the raid on President Trump's home. The raid on Mr. Houck's home. Remember him? The pro-lifer had seven little kids. The FBI has been involved in monitoring parents who are at school board meetings. And we can go on and on and on. Everything's not hunky-dory over there. And the over 300-page dorm report is so... Incredible in its details of what the FBI has been up to. Now, to say, well, Christopher Ray has put in all these reforms means nothing. They haven't gone away. Maybe some of the names have changed. Some of the faces have changed. But the mentality has not changed, which is why the mad dog, Jack the Ripper Smith, has gotten away with what he's gotten away with. Now, Christopher Ray has defended much of the past. That they don't collude with social media. Sure they do. One of the questions that may have been asked, but I didn't hear it, is, Mr. Ray, are you going to enforce the Attorney General's memo on, on parents at school board meetings? But there's a piece here at Right Scoop. Twitter files. Here's exactly why a federal judge blocked Biden administration from colluding with big tech. But Christopher Ray just told us they don't. Now we know they do. Matt Taibbi's back. He just posted today a new Twitter files exposing exactly why Judge Dowdy in Louisiana, my hero judge, issued his injunction. In short, the FBI moved to get three accounts banned by Twitter on a whim. And Twitter quickly acquiesced. Now, who was the FBI director during the pandemic? Christopher Wray. Not Comey. Christopher Wray. He was. And so, what do we have here in terms of what Taibbi is saying? Let me pull it up here. Here's the email. Elvis Chan is the in San Francisco FBI. Hi, Elvis, writes Monty, who's counterintelligence division, foreign influence task force, global unit. The following three accounts are not only believed to be associated with foreign influence actors, but also potentially being used to display information that violates Twitter's terms of service. Mentions them. When available, can you provide these accounts to Twitter for further review? Final disposition. In addition, if Twitter could notify us of any actions taken as a result of this referral, that would be greatly appreciated. Please let me know if you have any questions. 
Now, Stacy. Hi, Stacy. Our FITF Global Unit saw these accounts and wanted to bring them to your attention. Please take whatever actions, if any, you deem appropriate. Thanks, Elvis. It's not Elvis Presley, by the way. Hi, Elvis. I hope all is well. As of June 23, 2020, the content associated with the Twitter account, and they mentioned, appeared to still be accessible. Since the account was originally referred to Twitter on June 11th for possible terms of service violations, I wanted to follow up to see if this account was truly suspended. In addition, I also wanted to reach out to see if Twitter's investigation into the three accounts, one of them is the POTUS box, allowed them to identify any other linked accounts that were ultimately suspended due to their similar terms of service violations. From y'all Roth over at Twitter. Thanks, Stacy. Hi, Elvis and team. Wanted to briefly follow up on this one following our review. First, I want to apologize for any confusion here. A tooling bug on our end resulted in one of the accounts not being correctly enrolled in our authenticity checks, which is why you saw it stay online even after the others came down. We fixed the issue. Well, what do we know about this? That neither the FBI nor Twitter knew if these accounts were actually malign, as Tybee puts it. One of the three was from Canada. The FBI had no idea, neither did Twitter, but they suspended it anyway. And Taibbi says, is this sequence showing a censorship demand from a de facto superior or just a polite ass from a pal? You can judge for yourself. No, it's a demand by the FBI. Three accounts taken out. They have no idea, none, if those accounts were problematic or not. We know that one was not. It was out of Canada I was not fronting for any hostile regime. And then Christopher Ray says, oh, we don't do that. That's June 11, 2020. Christopher Ray was director of the FBI. Wasn't he? You want to check that, Mr. Producer? I'm pretty sure he was. June 11, 2020. But don't worry, there's no problems anymore. The FBI doesn't do that. And don't worry, Chris, uh, uh, Chris Christie says all's well. How would Chris Christie know anything? He wouldn't. But all is not well. You saw, your eyes were wide open. What the FBI and the Department of Justice did with Trump. Yes, Christopher Ray was the FBI director. Yeah, he came in in 2017. Thank you, Rich. 2017. All this collusion that took place with Twitter and Facebook... From mostly 2017, mid-2017 on, it was all on Christopher Ray's watch. Now, don't worry now. We've got it fully taken care of. 2020. All the collusion. All the attacks. That took place. The FBI and so forth. Christopher Ray was director. I'm going to play some of this for you. So you can hear some of this, among other things, because it's really quite remarkable. But here's Chris Christie in responding to John Roberts on Fox. Cut one, go. What do you think of his tenure there? Has the FBI lost credibility? And do you believe that the reforms 
that Ray insists that he has implemented will fix the problems that the FBI has had in the last few years. I think they are starting to fix those problems. Really? And what are those reforms, big boy? What are they? Can you name 10 of them? Go ahead about today. Look, um, I've known Chris for a long time. We worked together in the Bush Justice Department. That's all that matters. He worked with Ray in the Bush Justice Department, so Ray's cool, dude. That's all. Go ahead. 11 period, and he did an extraordinary job. And yeah, I did recommend him to President Trump, and I'm proud that I did. Those things that they were talking about today. such a slob. Go ahead. ...made this point over and over again are all things from when Jim Comey Eric Holder. Hello, dummy. That's why I just went back. He was there in 2017. These things are not all Comey. They're not all Loretta Lynch. They're not all Holder. These are. These are Christopher Ray. Christopher Ray was FBI director for three years when all these reforms went in place. And all this conspiring and collusion. Took place with his agents counterintelligence among others and twitter and no doubt the other platforms now what do you say there big boy go ahead we're in charge of the justice department before he got put in charge he fired that's the enti- enough. he's a propagandist ladies and that's what he is so he could he's re- he's regurgitating what christopher ray's opening statement said and there he is on fox as the special pleader for Christopher Ray, as he's the special pleader against Trump. And he's not just on Fox. He's on CNN. He's on ABC. He's all over the place. Guy's supposed to be running for president. Christopher Ray is not a bad apple in the sense that Comey is. Christopher Ray is a willing stooge. He's a willing stooge. He's happy to work with a corrupt attorney general, a corrupt special counsel, a corrupt administration. He's not there to expose any of it. None of his so-called reforms have fixed any of it. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best, the best of Mark Levin. Climate change. The same people who hate this country who hate capitalism, who hate you. Have you noticed? Are the same people behind climate change? How can that be? It's obvious. Climate change is just another ruse. They've tried many. They tried global cooling, global warming. They set on climate change. They've tried communist-style class warfare. You're not buying it. So they decided, okay, let's claim... That capitalism and prosperity and growth are damaging air and water in the environment. In fact, they're deadly. And it's a, an international emergency. And that if we don't quickly destroy our own economic superiority, if we don't do these things and do them yesterday, then the nation cannot survive. So this is where they've dragged us. And you actually have Joe Biden in Finland today essentially saying this. 
which only motivates our enemies even more. Listen to this. Cut five. Go. And we're working the lockstep on to tackle climate crisis, which you've been leaders on for a long time. And uh, in order to literally preserve our planet. Oh, Finland's been a leader. Do we get something from Finland, Mr. Is it, is it like, uh, like the phony bridge sign leading to uh, Trenton, New Jersey, where Trenton makes, it, the world takes? Trenton doesn't make anything. Not anymore. Anyway, go ahead. Essential threat humanity faces, and we don't have a lot of time, but I'm confident if we continue to work together, we can deal with it. So the existential threat, that's a new word for the last few years that they keep using. The existential threat is climate change. Which is why we had to ban the incandescent light bulb, you see, because it's, it's a life-threatening product, the light bulb. Now we have to use LEDs. They're always ugly, but whatever. Which is why we have to eliminate the combustion engine, and fossil fuels, because everybody's dying from them. No, they're not. Oh, what are you, a scientist? Are you a biologist? And the stupidest politicians of all keep lecturing us about this stuff and are in charge of it. This is a religion. This is an ideology. This isn't science. Where's the settled science? I want to read it. I said, where's the settled science? I want to read it. Is it along there with the chapters on the mask? And the lockdowns? And canceling school? Where's the settled science? As you and I watch our country being destroyed. And we have little say in it. We have no say in it. Because it's being run by the bureaucracy. And they're not up for election. Not now, not ever. Isn't it great to be a Marxist? You build these massive bureaucratic empires. You load them up with like-thinking radicals. They're immune from elections. They have civil service status. They have union status on top of that. You couldn't move one of these people out of office if your life depended on it. And it's incestuous. The hiring practices. Just like with faculty. Congress didn't pass a law eliminating the combustion engine. Congress didn't pass a law and say, thou shalt not drive automobiles that use gasoline. Or diesel fuel. Congress never voted any on any of that. And so what do they do? They do exactly what Gillibrand and the other puke are doing with the Constitution. They are taking statutes, rewriting them in the executive branch, essentially, issuing regulations, and saying we are authorized by Congress to make these decisions. Life-affecting, quality-of-life decisions who nobody voted on. What kind of representative government is that? 
It's an existential threat, don't you know? I thought the oceans by now were going to be so high that we'd all be flooded from sea to shining sea. Never happened. Now we get these damn weather reports. Oh, it's hot out there. It's hot. It's hot. You know where it's hot? Las Vegas. It's a desert, you idiots. Hot in Florida? I'm here. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm here. Record set. Every year it's record setting. It's those damn light bulbs. And gas stoves. And the damn cows. And the methane. That's right. It's the coal miners, the steel workers. They're the problem. It's the refineries. We've got to shut them down. As I said, when that book is written about America, there was a book called The Suicide of the West. Tremendous book. This is the suicide of America. And you and I didn't even vote for it. Nobody voted for it. It's exactly what Gramsci, the Italian communist, Marcusi, the German communist, came to the United States, infiltrated our country. It's what they all said. Slowly but surely secrete ourselves into the culture, into the government. No bottom-up revolution, no middle-out revolution. Violence, if it occurs, great, but it's not going to in most democracies. So take the system over, over time, over a course of time. It's all in the book, over a course of time. They've taken over the media, which is the state-run media. Show me, show me the difference of opinions between Chuck Todd and anyone in the government. Ever. When there's a Democrat in power. And go down the list. They hire from each other's workforces. It's top down. This is all top down. Washington centric. Regulations. Treated as laws. With fines and penalties. Including possible imprisonment. And not a single vote was cast for this. If you had today a public vote on whether to eliminate cars that run on fossil fuels, it would lose overwhelmingly. If you had representatives that voted on a piece of legislation on whether the outlaw the combustion engine. It would lose overwhelmingly. They don't even bring it up to a vote. But if you have a bureaucracy that issues regulations, because the Supreme Court said under the Chevron decision and others, I won't get into this, but they, they laid the foundation, an unelected body of justices, of lawyers, conferring enormous power on unelected body of bureaucrats. The only people who don't have a say, you and me. So it's an existential threat, ladies and gentlemen. 
Those of you who drive to work and work your ass off every day, whether it's a van or a truck or a vehicle of any kind, a car, you're the problem. Don't you see how hot it is? Don't you see how hot it is in Nevada? In the middle of the damn summer? That's what we have air conditioning for, at least for now, until the brownouts and the blackouts. And what a wimp group of wimps we've become. Oh, it's so hot, I don't know, my God. <laughs> you know what I say down here in Florida, Mr. Produce to everybody? It's a little chilly, isn't it? What do you mean? They don't even get the irony. A little chilling.